This is a conversation with Jean-Jacques Joris. Hi, Jean-Jacques. Hello, Serge. So, unlike most of the people who listen to this uh, conversation, you have actually some helpers when you conduct therapy. Right. I have about 13 co-therapists, all of them very hairy, um, four-legged, and um, who most of the time, whether or not working with me, are grazing on my pasture. Wow. So, um, who are these? I work in ditches, and, um, and sometimes marginally with goats and llamas, but mainly with horses. So, ther- horses are your co-therapists. Right. I do um, equine-assisted um, psychotherapy, and it's also called equine-facilitated psychotherapy or counseling, depending on, on, the, on the type of the session we're having. And so it's essentially an experiential work where we bring a horse, <clears throat> sorry, a horse into the session. And the, the idea behind it is, uh, well, there are many ideas, but one of the main ideas is that whatever clients bring into the space, into the arena or the pasture, wherever it is that we're working, whatever they bring is what manifests also elsewhere in their life. So instead of talking about, you know, uh, a, a particular complex or um, a, a difficulty, a challenge that they encounter in their social relations or at, in family, at work, instead of talking about it, we can see it manifesting itself in relation to the horses, in the work we do with the horses, giving this gives the client the opportunity to work on it directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you so they're, I mean? they're not talking about it, but since they bring these issues with them, they're going to manifest in the relationship with the horse. And right. so you're going to be addressing it directly as you deal with how they're dealing with the horse. Exactly. And, and, and the beauty of it is that people get a, an opportunity to test their beliefs, their thoughts, their beliefs, but also their behaviors. And they can try new beliefs and try on new behaviors with the horse and see what happens. And so it's, it's, a, it's if you will, a kind of, of massive, larger-than-life biofeedback where you mm-hmm. have a one-ton animal reacting to something that you do that you've never done before. Or something that you do with, um, let's say, another assumption in your mind. Let me give you an example. Most, many people um, come to this field, many clients come to this field, enter a pasture or a corral, and, and are afraid that the horses will see through them and will reject them. Mm-hmm. You know, lots, as you know, lots of people carry a very low, uh, bad image, a poor image of themselves, low self-esteem. They get into the field and say, well, these horses may be non-judgmental and what have you, but they also see through us. Right. So they will see that I'm a bad person and I'm not good enough and whatever, and they will turn their back and leave. So, um, sometimes these clients will get into the field. And horses will do the contrary. They will come and gather around them. So it, it kind of shatters their assumption about who they are. 
but sometimes, which is which is a good you know a good way for us to start the session. Yeah. Now, in other cases, um, horses will actually enact what these people experience in their lives, meaning they will reject those clients, they will turn their back, they will not let those clients get into their space. And this is where we have the opportunity to ask people to, you know, try a new thought, try a new belief. And because my work is also mindfulness-based and strength-based, do a lot of visualization, a lot of, of um, you know, work. Um, I help clients work towards acceptance. And then... I invite them to speak their truth. So in that moment of being abandoned, of, of experimenting, of, of, you know, living that, um, abandonment and rejection that they feel in their life, having the courage to turn towards it, towards their own feelings. What is it that you're feeling right now? What is going on in your body? And as people open up, and admit, which is something that they probably rarely do because it's not a safe thing to do in, in, in life. When they say, okay, this is what going, what is going on in me. This is what I'm feeling. This is my fear. This is my sadness. These are my memories. In 99% of the cases, Serge, horses come to them and stay with them. Mm. So there's, um, there is something almost magical. And, uh, I put that between quotation signs. But horses react to the, the react negatively, <coughs> sorry, to our inner, <coughs> excuse me, to our inner fights. Yeah. When you push down, when you try to suppress an emotion or a feelings or something strong, when there is something in you that is asking for acceptance and that you put the lid down on it, Horses react to it. They feel it. It's almost as if it were kind of dissonance mm-hmm. that is highly disturbing for horses. So, on the contrary, when you turn towards and create some space for that thing that is happening within yourself that you don't like, that you may be afraid of, or that makes you sad, or that, you know, um, has deep root into your childhood, when you turn towards it, and accept it, not condone it or indulge, but when you offer acceptance to that, horses come. And I've seen that countless times. People who were clients who were alone with their, um, their fear or their sadness or their anger or, you know, what have you, their grief, just turning towards it and suddenly being surrounded by horses. Mm. And this is a huge validation. Not only, as I said, my co-therapists are big, warm, and fuzzy, but it's 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 also there is something more to it. You know, there's this this massive life, animal life that is non-verbal, but highly communicative because we know that you know horses have mirror neurons and and they work. We it is something that is active between horses and humans, and suddenly finding yourself in that moment of, you know, touching your deepest pain, being surrounded and accompanied and having witnesses that Mm -hmm. offer them your presence is something extremely powerful. So I can understand how you, at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about uh, emotional biofeedback. Yes. 
you know that uh, and uh, and that uh, is as we talk about uh, you know in the triune brain the layer of the um, uh, mammalian brain uh just um, that's where that communication can happen at an emotional level and right. without being in a way um, short circuited or uh you know distorted by words that exactly. emotional communication gets through in a very powerful way so when when we you know the the, the thing about words is interesting um i invite clients to speak to the horse. And it may be that some clients, <clears throat> and especially, you know, in the earlier sessions, may have some resistance towards sharing uh, painful, deep, you know, raw wounds with their therapist, especially if the therapist is a new therapist. Mm -hmm. But they will have less uh, resistance towards sharing with the horse. So what I will do, depending on what happens between in a given exercise between a client and a horse, if I see that the horse reacts in a certain way, I'm almost certain, positive, that the client is is, you know, putting, as I said before, resisting something or trying to suppress something or trying to you know ignore something that is happening in him or her. So that's when I step in and I and I ask them to share that with the horse. Uh, I step back, I step away. I, I cannot I'm out of earshot. I can't I cannot hear what the client says. So you don't have to tell me. But I want you to tell the horse why. Not because the horse understands. And by the way, all my horses speak French, so they don't understand. <laughs> but um the point is when you describe when you put words, you know, out loud on your thoughts or emotions, feelings, body sensations, you activate another part of your brain. And you put, you engage, you fully engage your, 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 your cognition and you align it, so to speak, with your emotion and your body sensation. Yeah. And that is why, that is that, you know, congruence of cognition, emotion and body and behavior, if you will, that the horses react positively to. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so very, very important. We're not talking about avoiding words, but we're really talking about that moment where you engage your whole person. You know, the intellect, the emotions, the behavior, uh, yes. and and that's what that whole gestalt that the horse is going to react to. Right. Exactly. So I came, I came to it. You know, the the, the um, the anecdotal uh, uh, element for, for me was very interesting. Uh, before being in this field, I was in the foreign service of my country for 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. And at one point in, um, in an assignment that was particularly taxing, I was working in the field of war crimes, genocide, international justice, I had bought a horse. And that horse was, you know, I... I Every evening, it, it was in, a, in, in, in the Netherlands, in The Hague, and the horse was in a stable in the middle of the city. And I had to ride that horse every day, you know, lest it be confined to a small stall for, 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 for days on end. So every night, I would come at 8 or 9 um, and trying to put, you know, a nice face, a smile, and, and 
trying to sound uh, happy and engaging, whereas actually I was I was a bundle of unresolved emotion, frustration, anger, you know, work-related stuff mainly. And so each time I was coming into the stall, all the horses would, you know, put their heads out of that stall and look at the corridor, look at me, except mine. When she would see me, she would cringe. <laughs> she would literally, you know, put her ears back, which is a bad sign with horses, and 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 literally shrink up mm. and, and hide in, in the most distant corner of her stall. And that happened for days and days and days. And you know, and I would ask myself, what's wrong with this horse? And one day I just I just turned around the question. I said, okay, what's, what's, what's happening right now? And I started talking to the horse. I said, you know, I, I'm at the end of my rope. I bought you, and I want to ride you every day, and, and this is really not fun for you. It's not fun for me. I don't know what's happening. I'm feeling sad. And I, and I went on and on and on and on. Mm. And, and I talked, the closer the horse came back to me. And at the end, she had her head against my chest, mm. you know, completely relaxed, completely relaxed. And I was talking to her, scratching her ear, and I realized, oh, my gosh, what, what's happening here? So that was the first experience for me. At the time, I was a diplomat. I had not heard. I didn't know that anything like equine-assisted psychotherapy existed. So I, I thought, this is, this is amazing. And that horse uh, became, you know, we started a real friendship so that's how i experienced it myself you know yeah yeah i love that story of really um you know that turnaround of uh, what's wrong with this horse and suddenly realizing you know wait a minute and then started the communication right yeah very nice so if this is what would do i see that you know of course the, one of the, the beautiful things in this work is that um, because they react to that congruence, that alignment of cognition, emotion, behavior, we can say in a way, which is a bit anthropomorphizing, but still, we can say that, yeah, horses see through us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're extremely forgiving. So... They, they react, they don't react to you on the basis of your socioeconomic st- status, whether you're male or female, uh, whether you're rich or poor, you know, white or black, uh, religious or not, they, they couldn't care less. I mean, all the categories that for us matter so much in, in, in human society just are absolutely irrelevant for horses, absolutely irrelevant. But they do react to what is most essential within us. Mm-hmm. And so um, people, clients, in working with horses will practice, you know, that um, self-awareness. What is, oh, the horse doing this and that, so what is happening in the environment and what is happening within me? So I'll just uh, check with you something. Um uh, part of the work from what you describe, you know, must be happening in the stable, in the stalls. Well, or, no, actually. Or, yeah, how, what's the setting? So the setting is um, we are on a farm here. Mm-hmm. The horses live 24-7 
all year round, they are outside on the pasture. Oh. And when we have, you know, a very cold weather, blizzard, etc., we, we put blankets on them, they have shelters, um, we give them twice as much hay or alfalfa, but basically they're outside. Okay. Which means that, um, with my clients, most of the time, we'll go into horse territory, meaning the pasture or the mm-hmm. corral, and either we work with the horses at liberty in their own environment, or the client may choose one horse. In which case, um, the client will halter the horse, take the horse out of the pasture, and lead the horse into um, the arena. We have a, a small rampan, which is a, what would I say, uh, 60, maybe 50 foot a, a circle, mm-hmm. um, around, well, a rampan of, of about 60 foot diameter. We have a large um, ring, outdoors arena, and we also have a smaller covered arena for psychotherapy work. So when the weather is not good, if it's too windy or if it rains or in the summer when it's too hot um, and too sunny, we we are in the covered arena. But other than that, we are outside. And, and so we have many possibilities. One is, as I said, if the plant comes into the pasture, horses are at liberty, Horses are free at all times to engage with the client or not. Mm. They are on a huge pasture, and if they don't want to be with that client, they just leave. And uh, when we take a horse off the pasture and go into the arena, usually the client will choose, and and we look at what is this choice based on? What what is it that you see in this horse? That makes you feel, makes you choose that horse. Sometimes clients will choose a horse. That horse will, you know, not look too enthusiastic about it. And so clients will fall back on another horse that looks more interested. And, and we can look at that too, because more often than not, this is something that may happen in their life as well. Of ending up being in a relationship with someone who has chosen you instead of being in a relationship with the person you would like to be in relationship with. Yeah. And the third, um, the third, you know, um, uh, possibility is, you know, when the weather's not good and, and client comes and before the client arrives, I want to make sure we have one or two horses in the covered arena. The covered arena is a little bit distant from the pasture. And if the weather's not good, or if we work at night, for instance, I need to choose a horse. So in the beginning, I would just, you know, say, client search Pringle um, uh, is presenting with this and that. I think this horse would be a good choice. Take that horse, bring it, and, and we'll see what happens. And the closer I became to my horses, the more I started, you know, uh, communicating with them, the more I realized that they had a say in this. And so, in, 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 in a way that may sound a little bit, you know, woo-woo out there, I try to, when I choose a horse for a client, I try to hold the image of the client in my mind as I walk around the horses and see what happens. Hmm. It, it, it has happened to me that, you know, thinking of a, of a particular client, 
I thought this would be the perfect match because she's uh, she's a sweet mare. She's very gentle. This gentleman is maybe a little bit afraid of horses. It's the first session. And, and that horse would not let me come near. Mm. Although she normally is, you know, very friendly, comes to me as I step into the pasture. And that day, as I was thinking of that client, I was walking behind that horse that would have none of it. Why, all the, all the time, um, as I was trying to catch that horse, another horse was behind me, following me, who never follows me. So I need to be, to pay attention to unusual behaviors. Mm-hmm. When something unusual happens, I need to pay attention to that. So I turned towards that horse, who was really the last one I would have thought of for that client. And, and I asked him, um, <laughs> do you want to So thinking of that client, and, and that horse was completely relaxed, was licking and chewing, which is a sign of contentment for horses. And so I halted that horse, took him to the arena, and I think it was one of the most beautiful and transformative sessions I have ever seen in my life. Very nice. So, yeah, so that sense of really that sense of um, uh, paying attention to who they are, paying attention to the communication that happens, and um, and uh, all the unsaid emotional stuff that there can be around the person. Right. Right, because... Horses are, um, they're sentient beings, and they experience almost a whole range of emotions that we humans experience. Horses can experience grief, they can be depressed, they, they can experience and manifest joy, and um, something that is, you know, between affection and love, desire, definitely, but affection, companionship, Friendship, um, sadness, fear, anger. So they, they do experience those emotions. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that happen in the contact between humans and horses, some of which are being investigated and researched. We know, for instance, that um, a close contact, close and loving contact between horses and humans affect the heart rate variability of horses and humans alike. We also know, and, and this is being, uh, it, it seems that um, in, in, in physical contact between horse and humans, humans are able to trigger release of oxytocin within horses, which in turn triggers a release of oxytocin in the humans. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there's a lot of things that are happening. Yeah, a lot of things. That's so how, all of that—that you know, that implicit, you know, emotional communication that functions in a way we're not able to understand exactly how, but it right. does happen. Right. And and you know, keep in mind also the the fact that horses and humans have a way shorter life in common than humans and dogs have, for instance. We we go a long way with dogs. Maybe I don't know. 40,000 years. With, with, with horses, it's much shorter, 6,000 years. Mm. But still, horses who, you know, that, that's the element of co-evolution in which the genes of both uh, humans and horses may have been to some extent influenced 
by that uh, growing up together, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. Horses who could um, best read humans must have been selected by humans, you know. So they thrived better. Um, horses that were domesticated fared way better than horses in the wilderness, yeah. who uh, very often ended up being humans' uh, lunch or dinner. You know, um, because and, and, and when you you think also about how uh, people who use horses a lot were so close to them, depended. You know, the uh, the horse and the rider have such a close communication. Yes. That uh, you know, I can imagine that uh, evolution playing a role in selecting those that are best able to communicate and perceive what uh, humans feel. Absolutely, absolutely. And another another element, you know, in that. Um, Mutual understanding and, and reading of each other's cues, nonverbal cues, is that, um, and, and, and any, any horse person can, can give you tons of anecdotal evidence for it, but horses seem to pick on our images, on our visualization. Meaning, if you think, you know, of, stopping somewhere or starting when you're riding your horse of cantering, you know, when I when I get to that pine tree, we'll start cantering. Chances are the horse will do that. Many people will tell you, you know, I was thinking of stopping there and I didn't do anything and my horse stopped. Some uh, professional in this field go as far as think that the 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 um, the great advances made in therapy with horses for people within the autistic spectrum may be linked to that because people in the, within the autistic spectrum tend to be visual thinkers, not conceptual. Mm-hmm. And horses, it could be that horses may pick on that and vice versa. Right, right. So what I'm hearing is definitely something about the visual, but in addition, underlying it, uh, very much something about the attunement, the capacity for the horses to be attuned. And so we're talking yes. about, uh, in a way, something that a lot of therapy is very much about, is about that attunement uh, as uh, an experience in communication, also a repair of a lot of things that didn't go right, you know, yes. in, our, in our upbringing. Uh, and it seems like a lot of the focus of what you're doing is really facilitated by that attunement. Yes, absolutely. And, and, Attunement for a variety of reasons, and particularly for um, abuse survivors, might be a minefield, something dangerous. So they get the opportunity to work on that, to practice that, to open up with the horse because it is safe. Even if a horse, okay, a horse can step, granted, a, step, a horse can step on your foot, a horse can bite, a horse can buck, horses can stampede. Lots of things can happen around horses. And that's, that's an entirely another field which is also um, intimately woven into therapy, is that is the experience of safety. How do you stay safe? In the in presence a, of very real potential danger. So there is, there is that danger that the horse is not a little cat. And right. there is the possibility right. of staying safe. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So you experience it. Actually, and I touched wood, so far, I have not experienced anything, you know, any, none of my clients has had any accident. A few people, though, in workshops have, against my repeated, you know, uh, warnings, have put their hands into the horse's mouth. Mm. And a couple of those were bitten. Not bad. It was not, you know, a horse could, could squeeze your steel water bottle flat. So if a horse wants to break your hand, it can, but they don't want to. You know, they're, they're, they're grass eaters. They're not, um, meat eaters. But, but, you know, they can nip a little bit. So a couple of people were nipped. And, and that would have been, it was not, unfortunately, it was not in a therapy setting, but in a workshop. And so I would have been interested to see you know, w- what these people do in their life, mm. um, which is also bringing them into dangerous situation. Um, but anyway, as I said, safety-wise, nothing has ever happened here. But still, it is a learning process for clients of safety as an experiential process, as a self-awareness process, not one in which, you know, we can try to control our environment. Or, or, or one in which we receive from the person in charge, in this case the therapist, a list of do's and don'ts that will keep you safe if you, if you follow it. So, um, what was I saying? Yes, for clients who work with those horses, they will practice attunement. They will hone their observation skills as well. You know, little by little they will know, oh, if the horse does that, it doesn't mean the horse doesn't like me. It might mm-hmm. be that the horse has seen something else or that, you know, so, so they, they hone their observation skills and they are better able also to monitor what is going on within themselves. Now, all of these are skills that they, of course, take after the sessions into their lives because the point is, you know, my, I'm not teaching horsemanship skills. My point is not to teach people how to go about, you know, um, handling or leading horses. It is really about self-awareness of awareness of what is going on out there, self-acceptance, and and living a more fulfilling life, mm-hmm. so, which they can do when they practice outside of the arena what they have learned with the horses. Yeah, yeah. So. Um do you do, how does it, do you integrate, uh, say, talk therapy without horses and sessions with horses, or is your work entirely done in the presence of horses? No, well, it depends. For some clients, it will be a whole, the whole session will be spent on pasture or in the arena with the horses. But some of the clients, we will be talking, and at one point, we will go into the, into the arena, or, or we will take, we will take what the client is discussing to the horses. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, um, we'll do the contrary, we'll, we'll do the opposite, we'll start with the horses, and then we'll process inside. Sometimes we might do, practice some mindfulness skills, some movements, and then take that to the horses. It depends. I have some clients with, with whom, you know, I will do maybe one session inside without horses. 
and then two or three sessions with horses or one-on-one. It depends. It fluctuates. Some clients say, some clients come to see me not to work with horses, and they end up working with horses and vice versa. So there, there are all sorts of... Um, yeah. I also work with couples, uh, families, um, adolescents, and with adolescents, definitely, we spend the whole time with horses, and we don't do therapy, we just do things with the horses, and as the rapport is being built, and as they observe the horses, and I tell them about the horse, they start opening up and, and telling me about themselves. So it's, uh, it's a very wonderful work. Yeah. I'm a little curious about what happens with couples. Um, you know, obviously, there are lots of differences between couples, but do you, do you bring them together in the field with the horses? I mean, what happens? Yes, we do that. Um, and we can, we can work on communication. We can work on all the things that we normally work with couples. And, but it's a hands-on. Um, type of work. The, the, we will look at, at all the underlying assumptions. Again, you know, when, when a couple is sitting in front of me in my, in my office, uh, they tell me about what, what happened, you know, what happened yesterday. We had that big, that huge argument and because she did this and, and I did that and, and then she says, no, you did that. Anyway. When we're with the horses, I have a direct opportunity to witness what is going on. Mm-hmm. So I can assign them a, you know, a task that, that is an impossible task. Okay. Because it's never about doing it right or wrong. You know, again, it's not, I'm not teaching, <clears throat> sorry, I'm not teaching horsemanship skills. It's really about anything that comes up in the session in the, in the interaction with the horse is grist for the mill. So I can assign them an impossible task and see what happens, how they communicate, and I can highlight that, that directly in the moment. And what we do also a lot, which is, I think, beautiful and very effective, is not so much to focus on, on, on what is not working, but on what is working. And working with the horses, sometimes with the goats, I, I do a lot of couples work with my goats, which is <laughs> an entirely different thing. But it, it brings an element of playfulness and fun, you know, childlike, playful fun. And, and couples will, and especially couples who come in therapy, usually they come in therapy in, in, in the last, you know, in the very last stretch. Of, of, of a, a, a degrading relationship when things really get too hard, just a few, a few miles before the divorce. Um, so we're already quite late in the process. But, um, playing with horses is, brings back, um, a sense of, as I said, playfulness, aliveness, and they may reconnect together at a level that they might, might have completely forgotten, that was present way earlier in the relationship, at this, as they started to, you know, to date or discover each other and, and have that kind of um, giddy, playful, uh, uh, happy element in their, in their relationship. 
So we can reconnect and rekindle that also. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that part of them is is reawakened and uh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So Jean-Jacques, as we're coming to the end, uh, is there anything that you might want to say to uh, to conclude this? We have what what I have learned in this work um, with the horses, and and not just with the horses, because I work outside with being in nature and 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 observing all those. You know, we live. We I'm in Colorado, and we have the incredible luck to live in in nature with eagles and coyotes and bears and and all sorts of animals. Um, I'm rediscovering something that is available for each of us, which is the beauty of interrelatedness of being. Humans with animals, human with animals and their environment and nature and and animals including, you know, birds and nature and the sky and the clouds. It's such an incredible beauty that, you, that, that we can, you know, not see because we're so much engaged in our tunnel vision-like mm-hmm. approach to life and work. And, and yes, uh, our lives are stressful, but um, just taking that pause and looking around and just dropping into our five senses mm-hmm. opens a world of of beauty that is available to each of us. Mm. Thank you, Jean-Jacques. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com. You know, birds and nature and the sky and the clouds. It's such an incredible beauty that you, that, that we can, you know, not see because we're so much engaged in our tunnel vision-like mm-hmm. approach to life and work. And, and yes, uh, our lives are stressful, but um, just taking that pause and looking around and just dropping into our five senses mm-hmm. opens a world of of beauty that is available to each of us. Mm. Thank you, Jean-Jacques. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website, relationalimplicit.com.